are back on Zoom. We have all become Zoomlanders now. <laughs> How is everyone doing this morning? You guys doing all right? During this tumultuous season? We know that God is good and we know that he cares, cares deeply for us. And it's, it's been encouraging to hear people's stories this morning and to just to sense the, the real strong trust in God at our church. We, we are really blessed with a very strong unity and a very strong faith. And I pray that God will continue to grow that in us as a church. So this morning, as Wayne mentioned, we're, we're starting a new series and we have called it The Ideal Boss. The Ideal Boss. So we're going to, throughout this series, we're going to take a look at how God operates. Um, how does he interact with us? We, we've called it the ideal boss because we've we found it quite helpful to think about God using this metaphor of a boss. Um, you probably remember hearing me say that when we become a Christian, it's not just, we don't just become a Christian and that's the end of the story. God gives us a job to do. He gives us he prepares good work for us to do. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like when we become a Christian, we come under this new boss. So I want you to go along with this metaphor with me for a little bit. And, and just imagine that you started at a new job. Imagine that you, when you started, you didn't really know your boss very well. So, so maybe you looked them up online to see what are they like? What are their credentials? Uh, you could probably go on Google and find about find all about them. So imagine you did that and you found out, oh wow, they have a PhD. They they are really qualified. They have a really impressive portfolio. Uh, you could find out a lot about them probably from online and from asking around. But until you actually start working with them uh, and really getting to know them, you won't you won't know exactly how they operate. You won't know exactly what their character is like the more you work with them the more you'll you'll really come to understand them and the more you'll either you'll either come to trust them or you'll come to distrust them so so i think in a way this is this is similar to our relationship with god in that there's a lot of times as christians that we know god's credentials don't we we know he's all loving we know he's powerful we know he's he's got a phd in in love and uh He's all knowing, all these kind of things. But sometimes I think there's there's beliefs we have about him that make us afraid to actually go into his office. There's certain beliefs we have about him that that kind of make us hesitant to go to him and say, "Here's everything, Lord. I give you everything I am. What do you want? What what would you have me do, Lord?" I think sometimes maybe we hear from other people that God is he's kind of a strict boss. He's going to be really strict with us or, or maybe he's going to call us to go to another country, do something we want or, or yeah, we have, we have all these ideas that sometimes make us a little bit afraid to, to trust in our boss and to trust that he actually likes us and cares about us. So in this series, we're going to, we're going to look at some of those ideas that we have about him and, and hopefully we can wipe away some of these false ideas we have about God and how he operates in our life. We want to, to learn how God operates so that we can live in a proper relationship with him. If I just think God, every time I come to God, he's going to expect me to, 
to move to another country or he's going to be really harsh with me or uh, I'm probably not going to want to draw close to him. So, so we really want to see biblically and in, in through story how God operates with us. So today we're going to take a look at how, how our boss is capable and reliable. How God is capable and he is reliable. Have you ever worked for a boss who's just, who can really get things done? A boss that, you know, if you go to, they're just going to, if you have a concern, you can go to them and they're just, they somehow make everything work. They, they get on the phone and they call people and everything just happens. I remember I had a boss like this who I knew I could bring any concern to her and she would figure it out. She, she was just so good at, at making things happen. It was really cool. And, and this lady actually was, um, I remember there were times when she would, she would uh, correct something I was doing wrong. And in our, after our conversation was done, I would feel like she's, she was complimenting me somehow. <laughs> she was correcting me. But after our conversation was done, I was like, I feel like she just complimented me somehow, even though I know she just said I did something wrong. <laughs> it was a really, she was a very cool boss in, in that way. And I, I thought that was a really cool skill she had. But, but yeah, she would always be able to get things done. She was very capable. When we come to God in prayer, do we believe that God's like this? Do we believe that when we come to him, that he can actually get things done, that he has the power and the capability to make things happen? I want to show you today uh, the scriptures and through, through stories that we have a very capable boss. Um, the God we serve is very reliable and very capable. So we're going to read Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? <clears throat> and why do you worry about clothes? See how, the father, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not worry about tomorrow. I don't know about you, but these days when I look around me, I think there's a lot of, it's quite natural to worry about tomorrow, isn't it? There's lots of things that we could worry about these days. A lot of people are asking is my business going to survive this lockdown? Um, is my family going to be safe 
from the virus? Are my kids going to struggle with not being able to see their friends? There's so many concerns we have, so many worries that, that are very natural for us to have during a time like this. So when we're faced with these, these things in front of us, these are going to challenge us to ask the question, is God capable and reliable today? Is he capable and reliable still today? And this kind of ties into the question of why is there so much pain and pain and evil in the world right now? Why is there all this stuff happening around us? I think, um, I think when it comes to understanding God's power and his capability, uh, we have to understand, we have to figure out these questions of, of why is evil still happening? Why is there pain still happening? Can God still, is God still on the throne? Is he still powerful? So as I was reflecting on this, I think there's, I think in the church, there's been a bit of a misunderstanding on the power dynamics at work in our world. I think it's really important that we have a proper understanding of, of God's power and, and the enemy's work in the world and all of these things. So I think sometimes we think about, we think about God's, uh, we think about the world and the power dynamics like this picture I put here. I think sometimes we think up in the heavenly realms, there's this big cosmic battle between God and Satan, and they're both kind of on the same playing field. And uh, we really hope that God's going to win. But what about when Satan attacks back and we feel like maybe he's winning the battle or, or things like this? I think sometimes we think about the, our cosmic reality in this kind of way. And we're just on the earth really hoping that God's going to win the battle. But this is not the correct picture, not the correct biblical picture of how of the power dynamic that's happening around us. Let's just take a let's take a few. Uh, let's look at a couple verses here about what's the enemy's role in all of this? Where where does he fit? Does he have a lot of power? Does he have little power? How does this work? So. There's a few verses here that I, that I pulled up. The one says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John 5, verse 19. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then if you remember the temptation of Jesus, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. So here, there seems to be a dynamic where, where the enemy has some power in the world. The Lord has, has allowed the enemy temporary power on the earth. And this, this started... Um, with the fall with Adam and Eve. If you remember the story, um, when they fell, when, when uh, they gave into the temptation of the devil, uh, sin entered the world and humans became enslaved to sin. Uh, in a way, humans and spiritual beings chose to rebel against God. And, and they, they basically came to him and said, uh, we don't really trust you, God. We're going to do things our own way. If you think about this boss metaphor we've been talking about, it's kind of like 
God was the original boss and he created this company and uh, humans and uh, the, the evil spiritual beings who rebelled against God basically said, Lord, we don't really trust your company. We don't want to work for your company. We're going to go start our own company. And God, because of our, he allows our free will. He let us start our own company and, and be outside of his, his company. And so when Jesus came and he lived in perfect obedience to the father, God gave him a name that is above every other name. And he made a way for us to overcome sin and overcome the, our slavery to sin and to the enemy. So we receive forgiveness. We receive new birth. And we're basically brought back into God's company, his initial company that he started. Does that make sense? Does that understanding make sense? And so we see in Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11, it says, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So Jesus' name is above every name. He has power over the enemy, total power over the enemy. And the battle has already been not like there's a battle where the enemy might defeat God or, or this kind of thing. God has already won the battle. God is in control. And, and Jesus has been raised as one of the names above every other name. So it's kind of, the dynamic is more like this here, where God where the Trinity is, is all powerful. They are above every other name and Satan and other spiritual beings still have, they still have power on the earth, but God is totally all powerful. He is over all, uh, nothing happens outside of his knowledge. And as humans, we're not just sitting here kind of, uh, hoping things will go well in the heavenly realms. We, we have the option to, to be restored to God. And that's through Jesus. So on the earth, we're still in this dynamic where the enemy is, is, uh, has power on earth. But, but we, when we come to Jesus, we're able to commune with God and we're able to, to be restored to God. I've heard some pastors use the, the language of we're kind of living in an already but not yet dynamic where we're already in the kingdom of God, but it's not the it's not yet complete. There's still sin in the world. There's still evil in the world. So eventually one day God is going to wipe out all evil. But for now, we're in this already but not yet dynamic. But, but all of this to say God is in control. God is all powerful. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy. We are, we are sons of God. We are children of God. And we come to him through Jesus. And we have no reason to fear the works of the enemy. Um, and, and as we come to God, we, we are called to bear witness to the true king, to the true ruler over the universe. And our king is good. He actually cares about us. He, he provides for us. We can trust him. God, God puts us on mission to redeem people and, and to call them into his kingdom. So I, I thought it was important to talk about this dynamic because, because sometimes if we get this confused, we start saying things like, well, if God is all powerful, he probably caused all this evil to happen. 
no, that's, that's not true. Or, or people start thinking maybe God really isn't all powerful. Maybe he can't stop bad things from happening. Uh, or maybe he just doesn't care. You, you can see how, how if we don't understand this properly, we start to come up with all these false ideas about God. And it, it really hinders our trust of him. It really hinders our, our relationship with him and, and being able to come to him in a, a real relationship. So this is a very, I, I think this is a very important dynamic for us to understand. And, and so all of this to say, God is not hindered by Satan in any way. God is not hindered by the enemy in any way. God is all powerful and he can, he can do whatever he wants. So let's just look at some biblical examples of this. I mean, in a way, almost every Bible story points to God's power and his capability, doesn't it? If you think about any, pretty much any story throughout the Bible, it just shows God's power from creation where he created the world uh, to when he brought Israel out of Egypt. If you remember that story, God, God sent all these plagues and, and when Moses was brought to the Red Sea, God parted the sea. Like obviously God has, has a ton of power over creation. Um, these are some of the highlight stories of the Bible. God rescued Daniel from the lion's den. Uh, there's this cool story in, in Samuel where God has, he, he sends birds to go deliver food to Elijah. When there's this big drought that's happening, it's a really cool story. Uh, God says to Elijah, go over there. I've sent you, I've sent some birds to bring food to you. So these, these are all stories that show God's capability. Um, Jesus calms the storm. If you remember in the new Testament, his disciples are really worried because they feel like they're going to sink and everything's, uh, they're going to die. And Jesus is asleep on the boat. It's, it's kind of a funny story. He's just sleeping there. And, and Jesus gets up and he rebukes the storm because he knows that God is in control. God, if, if God has called him to something, he knows God is going to make it happen because God is powerful. A little storm's not going to get in the way of God's mission. It's really not. So, uh, and again, there's so many other biblical examples of God's power and his capability. So, um, I think it's really important that, that we we ask ourselves, how should we respond to God's power and his capability? Does he ask anything of us? And as you remember back to the verse I was reading before, at the end of the verse, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's talking about food and clothing and provision. And these things will be given to you as well. So I think... It's really important for us to understand that God, God tells us to seek first his kingdom. He, draw, he calls us to be a part of his kingdom and he will provide for us. Um, if we are in God's business, if we want to go back to the boss metaphor, if we are in God's business and we're in relationship with him, if we're doing his work, he's going to provide for us. We have good work benefits. He's going to provide for us. And actually, God will bless us in many ways too. Um, I was thinking about a verse God rewards those who diligently seek him. He rewards people who diligently seek him. So I think it's really important for us to really draw close to God. 
give him everything we have and he will he will definitely provide for us he will even bless us beyond he's capable of of doing more than we ask or imagine so i i think this is a dynamic in this whole whole picture that we really need to hold on to um as christians we really need to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness So what are, I think sometimes when we read Bible stories, we've heard them so often that we kind of, I think sometimes we, we say, yeah, God parted seas and he did all these miraculous things. But what is God, what does that mean for us today? Does he still do that today? And I believe God is still as miraculous today as he was in Bible times. So I just want to share a few stories just to, to show you that God is still working today. You heard Julie's story that she shared about our life. This is just a personal story. Um, how God showed her in a dream to go have John pray over her and then the baby would flip. Isn't that such a powerful story? That was so powerful for us. And it was so, it really just allowed us to taste a, a little tiny bit of God's power and his authority and his capability. It was so, it was so impactful for us. And, and when God has done just a few small things in our lives, for me, this has really just opened the door to, to realizing God can do whatever he wants. Like if he wants to part waters, that's totally within his capability. The moment you experience uh, an act of God's power, it flings the doors open. It really flings the doors open so that, so that you can trust him fully. I remember another story that... Uh, that I, I was thinking back when I was really young, we had this guy in our church who was, who was a very strong Christian. He was always very strong in his faith and always trusted God. And I remember one time his financial advisor came to him and said, you, you're going to have to stop tithing because uh, you're not going to have enough money to pay your bills. And he basically said, no, God's put it on my heart to, to tithe to him. And I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm going to trust that he's going to provide for us. And so he was stubborn. He just said, nope, God's going to provide for me. And so he didn't take the guy's advice. He, he trusted in God. And then, and then someone at some point just sent him a random check. They said, just sent him a random check. And, and it was just a sign that he, he trusted God. He was fully into the kingdom and he, he trusted that God would provide for him. And God did. Because God is capable. Another story, some of you may have heard of, of the guy named George Mueller. He was, uh, he, he lived in the 1900s in England. And I'm trying to remember, I think he, I think he had a profession that he gave up in order to start an orphanage. And he really felt God's call to start an orphanage. And um, but the interesting thing about his orphanage was that George Mueller never asked for financial support and he never asked for support for food or anything like that. He, he 100% trusted that God would provide for the orphanage. And so there's one cool story that you may have heard or may not. I just want to read it here. It says the children are dressed and ready for school, the children in his orphanage, but there is no food for them to eat the house mother of, an orphanage, of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and he waited. 
this was at the point where she said there was no food. So he just, he said, bring the kids into the, into the dining room and have them sit. And he thanked God for the food that God was going to provide. Within minutes, a baker knocked at the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. So I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. So he asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. This is a true story of something that happened in the 1900s. And George Mueller is a very interesting, interesting person because a lot of his stories are like this and he's journaled them all down. He 100% he trusted that God was going to provide for these kids because that's in God's nature. God cares for, for his children. He cares for those in need. So George had such a strong faith and such a strong trust that God was going to make it happen. Even the morning of, he comes into the building and there's no food. He didn't stress out and say, oh, what are we going to do? He just prayed and said, thank you, Lord, for this food that you're going to give to us. Isn't that such a strong a strong trust in the love of the father. I remember I was reading a quote from George Mueller actually, and it was, I thought it was very powerful. He said, he said, there was a day when I died, I utterly died, died to George Mueller, died to his opinions, his preferences, his tastes and his will, died to the world and its approval or censor died to the approval or blame, even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. Isn't that such a powerful testimony of someone who, who is seeking first the kingdom? This is really what it means to seek first the kingdom. Uh, he died to his preferences. He died to the approval of the world. And all he wanted to do was to study himself and show himself approved unto God. I just thought that was so powerful and something um, that God, I think, invites us into today.